Well, uh, welcome to another episode of the Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And during COVID-19, I'm also the host of our podcast. And uh, during this season, I am interviewing friends of ours from across the world. Uh, today, I'm joined by a friend from Canada, from the East Coast, or we call it the East Coast, but it's probably not quite the East Coast because like Nova Scotia is the East Coast. But anyway, from Toronto. And uh, my good friend, Nigel Pollock of InterVarsity, the president of InterVarsity Canada. Hi, Nigel. Nice to have you with us. Hi, Dan. Good to be with you. I don't think people on the East would like to hear Toronto as described as being on the East Coast, but I'm sure they'll forgive you. I know. I know. I made that error. I was told that when I first came to Canada and I referred to the East as Toronto and someone said, that's that's not East. And um, I'm guessing it's a couple of hours short on a plane of, of the East. So anyway... You're in Actually, when you get to Newfoundland, you're slightly nearer Scotland than you are to Vancouver. That's just amazing, isn't it? That that still staggers me, the vast size of this country. In fact, it was I did a, something for InterVarsity. I flew over to Toronto and then another time to Ottawa to do some training with, with your it's team. True. And I, I decided to go just for like a morning. And it was on the return flight, on like a five-hour flight back, that I thought, I'm not sure I could do this very often. Um, but in my head, it was like, you know, well, it's in the same country. It's just going to be a couple of hours. But no, it was like a full-on international well, that's, flight. That's the problem when you live in the winterless West, Dan, that you think a day away from Vancouver is a day wasted. <laughs> I did not say that. But um, but I like I like what you've done there, Nigel. Uh, so Nigel, Nigel is uh, Nigel. How long have you been the president of InterVarsity Canada? Uh, about twenty months. I started in September two thousand and eighteen, so I'm in my second year. Okay, and before that, you were based in New Zealand for a while. I was in New Zealand for thirteen years, and before that, I was in the UK. You can tell from my accent that I'm from uh, Old Scotia. Yes, Old Scotia indeed. Whereabouts in Old Scotia are you from? I was born in Stirling, but we lived in Edinburgh for most of the time before we went to uh, New Zealand. All three of our boys were born in Edinburgh, but did more of their schooling in New Zealand than they did in Scotland. And we still have two of them in New Zealand, and the middle one is in London in the UK at the moment. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So, Nigel, um, l let's start with, I mean, we're in this season... Uh, which, I mean, I, th I feel like it's seven weeks now that we as a family have been, uh, you know, locking up, self-isolating ourselves. Um, this is strangely becoming normal, but um, I it's, wonder what... It's 50 what days. That? I've been choking them off one at a time on my wall. It's, is uh, that right? 50 days, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's one-seventh of a year is a significant amount of time. I wonder, how are you doing? How's how's InterVarsity? What does is, what is this season look like for... Intervarsity. I think how I'm doing personally is like most people, I've got good days and bad days. I think uh, intervarsity, we're trying to understand the times and to respond appropriately. So there are some things we've been trying to creatively engage with students in high school online. Um, but we're really a ministry that works on gathering people together in high school on campus and in camps. And the inability to meet uh, definitely has got a significant 
impact on what we're what we're trying to do. Organizationally, I think one of the big challenges is to to not just rush into something, but to try and take time to reflect. You know, we we live in this kind of age that you're talking about where every day seems the same. I've got a friend who talks about every day being blur's day at the moment. And in that in that blur, there's a real desire for clarity. But the world that we live in at the moment, while clarity is nice, what we often need is a certain amount of agility to be able to respond to the situation that we find ourselves in and to allow ourselves to be released from the frantic activity that sometimes just sets the pace and determines what we're trying to do. So I think there's an opportunity in it as well. Mm, yeah, that's that's been an interesting theme that continually keeps coming up as people are, I guess, you know, at Sanctuary, we've talked about this. Uh, we're just running this little series on Instagram of um, uh, sort of light in dark in dark places. Like where, do, where are we seeing these kind of uh, strange glimmers of hope and in what ways is this very dark and difficult season actually presenting in a strange way, presenting gifts to us? And um, the gift of time is something that continually is coming back, is that actually um, we have more time, whether that's time to be with our family or time to be on our own. Um, and I know that isn't the case for everyone in this world, that they have the luxury of time. But certainly in our context in, in, in Canada, for us, it's been there is strangely kind of uh a weird gift not that we we want we don't want this to happen but even so in the midst there is a a gift of time that we've been given um what do you what does that look like for for you uh, personally um uh, you, you touched on it but uh for you you live with your wife uh, you, you, yeah we're living in our in our own little small bubble of the 25th floor of a of a condo in in toronto um, and we've probably spent more time together in the last seven weeks than we have in our married uh, life up to this point in terms of amount of hours we've actually been in the same space on our on our own. But you know, there's there is this kind of strange combination of opportunity and lament that we're living in. You know that although there is time, there is also an absence of the ability to do many of the things that energize us and we enjoy, you know, connecting with friends, traveling, even simple pleasures like going out for coffee, you know, that when you can't do the things that give you energy, it's harder to, to make the most of the opportunity. And I think one of, one of the things that I've realized in this season is how much of leadership is actually future orientated, you know, that you, you're always thinking about the world that you're moving into. You know, management is more to do with coping what's immediately in front of you, but leadership is about trying to, to plot a course further, further ahead. And when you don't have fixed points, it's hard to, to navigate. It's hard to feel secure. It's hard to feel comfortable. And that lack of things to look forward to, that lack of knowing when is this going to end, that lack of clarity around, well, what is the world going to be like when when this virus passes? You know, I, I don't think there's going to be a return to normal. I think there's going to be a new world that we're going to have to work out 
how we live and relate and do life and ministry in that new environment. That that kind of the not being able to see the future clearly or to see it even less clearly than we usually can can see it is actually quite threatening and debilitating. You know that you you don't have a holiday to look forward to. You don't know what's going to happen at this date. You your empty diary spanning out in front of you and as you say every day becoming the same that can become quite difficult mm. yeah which obviously segues well into the whole mental health conversation i mean uh, for us as a mental health organization who uh, we've worked quite a bit with intervarsity over the last couple of years with your uh, uh, camp directors and your uh, campus leaders and your leadership team I, i've actually had interactions with all of them i wonder um, yeah, what are you seeing as an organization with students and mental health, um, you know, either at this time or before this time? I'm just, I'm just interested. What is, what is happening? I think we're seeing a lot of loneliness. Um, you know, one of the ironies is that this generation is probably the most connected that any generation has, has ever been. But despite that, often lacks the, the quality and depth of relationship that they feel understood, loved, connected with, able to share their deepest feelings and, and, and longings um, with. And all, all indications are that those feelings of loneliness have increased in this season. Mm. You know, there's, there's opportunity to reach out to people that perhaps you haven't spoken to before, but when you're not used to doing that, when you don't have the the ability to really to share and to converse and to to listen it's much harder to broadcast in this season because you've got you've got less to talk about really you know how many how many pictures from your window do you really want the world to to see on your instagram account and you know how much news do you have to share when yesterday was the same as the as the day before i wonder what my memories of this year are going to be like in three or four years time when I look back on well, what actually happened in those in those months. So loneliness is definitely uh, an issue. I think um, some of the people who are most affected are the people at those key transition points. You know, you're, it's your final year at high school and you, you don't have a prom. You don't have the the end of your sports season that you've looked forward to. It's your final year at university, you're an art student, you don't get your your degree show, you're a, a music student, you don't get your final concert, you, you don't get to graduate. You know, these in person, you know, these kind of key rites of passage that are often times to, to celebrate and reflect are one of the ways that I think we build resilience because it gives you staging points that you can reflect on life and how you've been sustained to this point and how that helps you to move on to the the next summit that you're trying to that you're trying to climb. And I think the absence of those things also has implications for for people. The fact that this graduating class doesn't know what they're employment prospects are going to be or how deep and long the recession is going to be and what you know how that's going to work out for for them i think there's 
there's a fair bit of anxiety and and stress going on as as well. And then you have people who are back living at home, who don't want to live at home, would have to kind of cope with relationships that they perhaps thought they'd resolved a little bit, but are still there in front of them on a on a daily basis. You know, it's uh, there's many things that are not that are not easy. But I think one of the one of the gospel opportunities is that when when the things that give you security, when the things that give you purpose are are stripped away, and your life isn't filled up with with noise and activity, then there does come a question of what is this all about? You know, who who am I? And that that isn't a question I think that people will be getting answered at the moment. But I think it's a question that is going to be more to the forefront in people's minds as we begin to emerge into that new world. And I think that's why we're seeing uh, curiosity in some of the things that churches are doing online. You know, we've moved some of our uh, Bible studies and Mark camps and so on online. And we've had some folks joining them who aren't Christians because they're interested at the moment to try and begin looking for answers to some of those questions that they have hmm. wow yeah i think i mean it's it's very interesting that idea of um particularly developing that theme of, of there being a delay in the response to this because that's i, I know that uh, i've already said this on another podcast but i know that in response to um 9-11 the, the churches in new york many of them i said church attendance went up at that point of crisis so everyone started turning to spirituality for answers. And there's a whole ton of research that shows at a point of mental health crisis, people often turn to spirituality for answers. So uh, people start attending, but then there came this delayed response to sort of three to five years later, the kind of trauma hit home for people. and They were then processing a lot of stuff, playing catch up with stuff. And it strikes me that um, just as the church has a unique sort of mission opportunity in being that safe space for people to turn to that um you know and i would say this that the smart churches will be the ones that are also developing a, an understanding of mental health and developing support structures for people for when when the rubber hits the road as it were perhaps which could be further down the line for people um i think that's like, right but i think i think there there is still a lot of um misunderstanding around issues of mental health in in churches as you know and i think one of the one of the things that's interesting in this season is that there is a genuine sense of lament for what has been lost and what is happening in the in the world and we have a lot of of worship which is quite triumphalistic you know we we don't have the same breadth in our modern songbook as exists in the Psalms, where you've got a, a blend of thanksgiving, approach, confession, lament. You know, you've got the whole kind of gamut of human experience. But a lot of what we experience in the modern church is about everything is fantastic, everything is is sweet. And you sit sometimes or stand in in services and you think, what's going on here? You know, are these people crazy or am I? You know, I'm, I'm just not feeling this. This isn't connecting with where I'm, with where I'm at. And we, we may be able to see a slightly greater degree of authenticity birthing through this if people are able to, 
to be more honest about how they're getting on and are able to to talk about that and are able to to understand the difference between worship and and singing and how relationships of quality and depth don't just brush over the real issues but are able to kind of stand with you in the trenches and to to help your relationship with God deepen through whatever experiences you're facing. Mm, that's so true. And I think we see that reflected in so many ways in culture. Like even a small example being recording these interviews, changing our podcast in the way it's, you know, we, we create a podcast, we had a whole first series ready to go and we got halfway through it, COVID hit. And we were like, uh, this isn't, this isn't where it's at right now. We need to park this and we need to just talk to real people and hear what's going mm. on for them and how they're coping and what's going on for them. Cause I think this, um, again, one of the strange gifts of this time, I think is there is this reality check. Suddenly all these pampered people that we're told to admire and wish to be like are all stuck at home, um, doing zoom interviews, you know, and, and suddenly the, the folly of, yeah, it's not to say we can't enjoy this, this world, but the folly of, much of what we encourage to value in our world, you realize, oh, it's meaningless. A, a virus hits and suddenly it's all shut down. Like we we just don't know what to do anymore. We can't make TV shows or play sports or which I'm personally absolutely gutted about. I'm oh, really missing the soccer. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that uh, totally. But, you know, death is a great is a great leveler, leveler. You know, Bill Bill Shankly, the great football manager, once said football isn't a matter of life and death. It's far more important than than that. But yeah. I think that's that's putting soccer completely out of perspective. And when you're faced with the reality of the big question of life and of, of death, when you see, you know, celebrities are not immortal and people are always more shocked when somebody famous succumbs to an illness or is uh, is killed in in some way, you know, whether they're a basketball player or a film star or whatever it is that that hastens their their demise. There is a point where you kind of say, well, what am I trying to to do with my life? What am I trying to accumulate? Who am I trying to invest in? You know, what is my what is my legacy? What is my impact? What is the point of of me? And it's you know, it's not just about the one with the most toys wins. It's about how we relate to each other, how we um, show love, how we show kindness, and how we kind of share the good news of Jesus. Because in the light of the, the hopelessness that death often brings, Jesus is the, is the only vaccine. You know, Jesus is the only treatment. You know, somebody said once the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the only one who has done anything to deal with the way human hearts are hardwired and to fill them with love and to bring forgiveness and to reorientate them to the God who knows them and made them and loves them is Jesus. Hmm. And that, um, that good news isn't something that as Christians we can never get tired of or we can see relegated down the agenda because it is the, it's the hope of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, amen. I'm with you. I think it, it's interesting though, applying that and thinking about the thing you said earlier about how many churches would have more of a predisposition to being ha places that cultivate happiness, right? Being happy, happiness and faithfulness are somehow the same thing, which, which they're not. Um, 
And I wonder, I wonder if that's in part maybe a, a twisting of that message of that that message of hope that you just rightly said that Jesus is is the answer, the problem of the human heart. You know, uh, Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate vaccine. But I wonder if um, if sometimes that is turned into uh, and therefore you shouldn't be unhappy and therefore you shouldn't be depressed because because there's this. Whereas, I mean, I and I know you would say the same, but I would say the whole good news is that Jesus is available to you wherever you're at. If, if you're in the midst of the darkness, he's there with you in the darkness and he will validate your experience of the darkness rather than try and push you somewhere you're, you're not ready to be. Totally. And the good news of the incarnation is that God became flesh and lived among us, that mm. Jesus took on human nature. He knew what it was to live in a family. He knew what it was to experience um, every human emotion. He wept over the death of a, of a friend. He experienced disappointment and betrayal and physical suffering. You know, he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we have seated at the Father's right hand, one who intercedes for us, knowing what it's like to be us. Mm. Knowing, you know, we don't have to pretend. You know, God knows who we are. And knowing who we are, he still loves us. And that is the rem remarkable thing about grace and what differentiates Jesus from religion. Religion is about human beings in search of God. Jesus is God in search of human beings, coming to do what we can't do, bringing forgiveness and eternal life and, and hope as God's gift out of God's love and out of God's desire to, to be and make the critical difference um, for humanity. So yeah. I, I, am, I think you're absolutely right that the danger is that we, we have a kind of cartoon version of the Bible about a God who died to make us feel better and give us what we want. Whereas God actually did far, did far more than that. Yeah. One of the things that I hope might come out of this season is that we might have churches and mission agencies that are less concerned with running of programs and more concerned to connect with people in the reality of their, of their lives. Yeah. Well, I will say a big amen to that. And I know that many of the people that Sanctuary have served over the years would hear your words and be incredibly encouraged by them because um, yeah, that is, that to me, that is the good news. That is, that is the good news. You've just, you've nailed it. Thanks, Nigel. Nigel, um, I really appreciate your time. I don't, I'm just grateful that you would give us the time to share some of your insights and just hearing you speak, um, you know, as a leader, I, I think, you are the you are the right man for this time and i i'm just grateful that you're here in canada being an example being a leader and and uh yeah leading god's people into whatever is to come appreciate that dan i'm not always sure about that myself but we are very committed to all that sanctuary is doing and that whole kind of desire that people experience the shalom of God, that integrity and wholeness and holiness, a right relationship with God and with other people are all bound up together and that we can help each other um, towards that. Um, that's, a, that's a great part of our calling as the people of God as we, as we journey together, not just through this season, but as we journey together 
through the through the world that our lives are characterized by reality and and hope and that we share that hope with those around us mm. so bless you and all that sanctuary are doing and keep up the good work thanks nigel i will do bless you see you soon Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at SanctuaryCourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.